Hi, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in San Diego. Thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to support the work that we do here, please consider making a contribution. Go to our website. It's easy to do. Thank you in advance for that contribution. Reverend Wendy presents a talk that explores and expresses the truths of unity and that there are real-world practical things that we can do to deepen our experience of spirituality and help us in our daily lives. So we've been exploring together the parables, and I, thought, I hope you've had some fun taking a fresh look or a different look, a mystical and metaphysical look, at some of these well-known, well-loved stories and parables from the teachings of Jesus. Today we're going to look at a parable called the Parable of the Lost Sheep. How many of you are familiar with the Parable of the Lost Sheep? Just a few. You'll be much more familiar with it in a, in a few minutes. I'll read it to you, but I want to set the tone for it a little bit first. So the parable of the lost sheep is actually the first in a trilogy of parables that all deal with the idea of something being lost and someone going to find that which is lost. The first is the parable of the lost sheep, and there is a shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one goes astray. So there's one lost out of a hundred. The second in the trilogy is a parable of the lost coin. And there, is, there are 10 coins and one coin winds up being lost. And the third in the parable, or the third in the trilogy is the parable of the lost son, better known to us as the prodigal son. And of course there's two sons and one is lost and it's the recovery of that one son. It's important when we look at these teachings mystically and metaphysically to appreciate the nuance of emphasis. And so when Jesus is giving essentially three very similar parables, something of value is lost and the desire to get it back is present, he's really trying to underscore an idea, a, a concept. And that's often done either with repetition or in this case, progression, and sometimes it's even done with exaggeration, which was very much a part of the culture and the, the, the style in those days. To emphasize the point, you exaggerated the, the point. And Jesus is giving this parable of the lost sheep. He's teaching the parable and the idea of it to the tax collectors and to the sinners. He didn't hang out with the greatest people, by social standards in his day, he hung out with the people that were considered to be outcasts. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were also there and they were aware of what he was doing and they really didn't like it very much. They didn't think he should be associating with these people or wasting his time trying to teach them. So let me read you the parable and then we'll kind of unpack a way that we might look at it and, and walk away with a message that could help us in our own lives. So it's from the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter, verses one through seven, and the version of the Bible that I use is the New International Version. And remember, don't be afraid of the Bible, it's only a book. We don't take all of it literally in unity, we never have. We are principle-based, and we see the Bible at, through mystical and metaphysical eyes as really describing to us the, our journey of awakening, our journey from separation, the feeling of separation from God, to the feeling of oneness with God. So here's the parable. 
Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then Jesus tells him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now remember the context in which he is giving this. He's giving this to the um, outcasts, if you will, of, his, of society. And he's giving it really as a teaching tool to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law by way of saying, wait a minute. To teach those who most need to hear what it is that I am teaching is a very important thing to do. And he tries to convey that as he is comparing it to the shepherd who has 100 sheep and one goes astray. And remember that the shepherd and those 100 sheep were probably that shepherd's complete livelihood. It was his wealth. It was his financial portfolio with fur on. And so when one goes away, Jesus is saying, the shepherd is going to leave behind the 99 to go find that lost sheep. And he's going to keep looking until he finds it. And when he finds it, he's going to bring it back and he's going to be happy. He's going to rejoice. He's going to celebrate. Much in the same way that when we lose something and we find it, isn't that a wonderful feeling? Like, oh, I finally found it. I found my glasses or I found whatever it was that, that I lost. There's a sense of completion and a sense of joy and a sense of relief. A helpful message I heard on this many, many years ago was from T Stephen Covey. How many of you remember the name Stephen Covey and Seven Habits of Highly Successful People and all these other great teachings and books that, that he wrote? He wrote this in 1971. He said, I have found that the key to the 99 is the one. Think about that for a moment. I have found that the key to the 99 is the one particularly the one that is testing the patience and the good humor of the many. <laughs> it is the love and the discipline of the one student, the one child, that communicates love for the others. It is how you treat the one that reveals how you regard the 99, because everyone is ultimately a one. I'm going to read that again. It's how you treat the one that reveals how you regard the 99, because everyone is ultimately a one. So the key to the 99 is the one. The very interesting thing is that the 99 don't usually get to see how the one is treated. Right? Because the 99 are back here as the shepherd's gone out to take care of the one and go find the one. And you can see the underlying message here if you're paying close attention. The 99 don't get to see how the one has actually been treated, but the one is welcomed back in. So what does it mean to us mystically and metaphysically, though? The Bible really, I think, is a story. One of the, the, the solid themes or common themes in the Bible is the theme of seeking and finding something that's lost or missing. Seeking and finding something that's lost or missing. 
Think about the whole story of the, the journey, um, the exodus and the journey for the promised land. It is a journey, it is a seeking and, and a, a, a looking for what's been lost or what you don't have. And the joy or the satisfaction when you finally are able to bring that into your life experience. Very true of this particular parable, the parable of the shepherd. Hundred sheep, one goes astray. He comes and he looks for that one. The seeking and the finding of that which is lost. The seeking and finding of that which is lost today for so many of us is a conscious awareness of the presence of God within us. For many of us, and I certainly can appreciate and understand some of the reasons, for many of us we've become so disillusioned with church or with religion that we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. We've thrown God or whatever you call the one presence and power out with the bathwater. We say, I'm, I'm, I'm done with all that stuff. And in the same way that we have a physical body so that we can maneuver around this and in this life experience, and we have our emotions and we have our, our mind, our intellect, and we need to take care of all those realms of us, so too it is true that we must take care of and nurture our spiritual essence that we must remember who and what we truly are. Who and what we truly are are spiritual beings having an, a human experience. And within that journey of our humanity, it is to keep alive in our mind and our, in our awareness this ineffable experience of God by whatever name you choose to give God that there is something operative in this universe that transcends what you and I physically are, as wonderful as that may be. And that when we get that God piece, that's what is missing for so many. When we get that God piece and we understand it and we begin to live from it, our life fundamentally changes. It begins to shift so many other things in our life. Have you ever had the experience of, of doing a little bit of remodeling in your house? You know, you move one or two things, and I'm talking about the little stuff first, right? You, you reorganize things a bit, you move things around, and then you step back and you look and go, okay, well, I really like that. But now this over here doesn't work. So now I need to go change this over here, right? And then when you do that, you go, well, now wait a minute. Now, now it's, I gotta look at it this. Are you on the same page with me, right? In the same way, what begins to happen when we get that God piece right in our lives it begins to inform and reorient everything else in our life. This is why Jesus, I believe, why he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all this other stuff, everything else that you feel you need will be added unto you. It's a, a lesson, a very important lesson in priorities, putting first things first. And our awareness of our consciousness of God is that first thing. Some people know an awful lot about God while never really knowing God. Some people have gone through religious training, theological training, and are far more knowledgeable about all the nuances intellectually about theology and about God. But it's very different knowing about God and having an experience of God. You can have an experience of God without, without knowing very much about God at all. The difference to me is a little bit like the difference between reading a beautiful menu 
of all the most, I shouldn't do this right before lunch, right? Of all the most deliciously prepared, healthy entrees, reading the menu, but never ordering and then eating the food. To read the menu and be enamored of the menu is to know about God. To know God is to take into your, your very essence that food, that nourishment. It reminds me of the Samaritan woman who came to the well to Jesus to draw water. And in, culturally, Samaritans and Jews were to have no interactions with each other. And yet he says to her, in essence, you're seeking water, but I give you living water. What he was speaking of mystically is a living water of spirit. It is the one thing to go look for. It is the one thing to cultivate. It is the one thing to develop. In his book, um, Learn to Live, The Meaning of the Parables, Irvin Seal, this is an old, old book. Irvin writes about what the sheep and what the shepherd represent. And I wanna share some of that with you and talk just a little bit about it. He says, the sheep and the shepherds are, are symbols of the spiritual mind. So now put it in a metaphysical context. The sheep and the shepherds are symbols of the spiritual mind. The shepherd represents the chief belief or dominant conviction of the mind. The chief belief or dominant conviction of the mind. And that chief belief or dominant conviction of the mind shepherds all the other thoughts, moods, and attitudes. And so pause point here would be to ask yourself on a consciousness level, what is the chief dominant belief or thought in your mind? One very simple way of answering that question is to, to answer it, do you basically believe, do you basically believe that there is a presence and power called God that operates in and through the universe toward the highest good of all concerned? In other words, making it really, really simple, do you basically believe that life is good? I'm not saying that everything that happens on a day-to-day -day basis feels good, but do you essentially walk through your life experience believing that the energy of life itself is basically good? Or do you walk through your life experience basically believing the energy of life is not good? I believe it was Einstein who said one of the most important questions you can ever ask of yourself and what drives your life experience is do you believe that you live in a benevolent or a malevolent universe? That is the shepherd in your mind, so to speak, right? I can absolutely say that I believe that, that I live in a benevolent universe. I don't always like everything that happens in my life or around me or even in the world but I believe that life is rigged in the favor of the good, that there is a force for good and you and I can use it. And so that dominant thought, that shepherd in my mind, if you will, is always going to go out and make sure that those random thoughts that are unlike it are brought back into the fold of that one principle and that one idea. Now contrast it to someone who believes just the opposite. Their shepherd, their dominant thought is that the universe is malevolent, that basically life is not good, that there is a force not for good but a force for evil. Do you think that the way that they look out through their life experience 
and the f general flavor of all the other thoughts that they have, the way they interpret everything else in their life. Do you think that's going to be different than the person who, shepherd, believes I live in a benevolent universe? Is it going to be different? Absolutely. You could put those same people in, smack in the same job or the same problem or the same relationship or the same health challenge or the same loss or the same opportunity and they are going to experience it completely differently. And the difference is not the experience, the difference is not the external, the difference is the what? The internal, the internal. Seal writes, in all of our life, there is only one thing to seek for and only one thing to find, and that is the consciousness of God's presence. Take that in for a moment. In all of our life, there is only one thing to seek for and one thing to find, and that is the consciousness of God's presence. Let's make it real as I begin to wrap this up. Let's make it real. I'd like you to think about a, a difficult situation you might be in in your life right now. Okay? Don't make it too dramatic. Don't, you, know, you know what it is. You don't have to make it, fill it out in too much detail. But just let it be in your awareness for a moment. And now, take this thought in and ask yourself what it might be like if you were to do this in that situation. In all of our life, there is only one thing to seek for. In this situation in my life right now, there is only one thing for me to seek for and only one thing for me to find. And that is the consciousness of God's presence in this. The consciousness of God's presence in this. Would your shoulders drop a little bit? Would you exhale a little bit? Would you relax into whatever that is a little bit? You know what happens when we, we are either practicing the presence of God or we're practicing the presence of fear. And when we practice the presence of fear, we shut down. Our minds shut down. We're not nearly as open to new ideas. They could be put right here and we wouldn't even see them. We, when we are practicing the presence of fear, we are mentally shut down, emotionally shut down, physically shut down. It's as if, it's as if we have put this huge barrier up where nothing good can come in. We are either practicing the presence of fear or we are practicing the presence of God. And when we are practicing the presence of God, there's a softening in our consciousness. There is an opening in our mind there is an opening in our heart and our soul. And when we are more open, we begin to see things that were always there, but we never saw them before. We begin to recognize ideas and truths and principles and opportunities that were always there, but we never saw them before because we were locked in this place of fear. In all our life, there is only one thing to seek for and only one thing to find, and that is the consciousness of God's presence. As I close, ooh, sorry, as I close, I want to remind us of some words that we use in unity quite frequently, and they are the words to practice the presence. Say that with me. To practice the presence. If we just took that as a mantra, into our day-to-day -day experience when things get a little crazy, a little scary, or a little challenging, if we were just to make 
use those words as a mantra, I choose to practice the presence here and now, we would begin to see that we show up in a very, very different way. And to the degree that we practice the presence, to the degree that we practice putting God first in our thoughts, in our decisions, and in our actions, to that degree, we will begin to experience much greater love, much greater joy, much greater abundance in our life without making any of those things the object that we're going for. They will be naturally attracted to us. So once again, let me read those words to you from Irvin Seal. In all of our life, say it with me and after me. In all of our life, there is only one thing to seek for. There is only one thing to seek for and only one thing to find, and only one thing to find, and that is the consciousness of God's presence, and that is the consciousness of God's presence. May those words live inside you this week and influence whatever is up for you this week. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you. The Unity Center, spiritually progressive, socially responsive, radically inclusive. We have services on Sundays at 9 and 11. Many people enjoy Reverend Wendy's talks and meditations and aren't able to attend the Unity Center in person. If you're part of our extended family from around the world and would like to help support the Unity Center, please go to our website or download our free app, which offers even more ways to connect with the Unity Center. Namaste. Namaste.